the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters, in Christ. Why is change so hard? I'm not just talking about the big changes, moving to a different state or losing a loved one. I'm talking about the little changes. Why are even the little changes so hard? Why is it so hard to change, to exchange the comfort of being under my warm, soft covers for the cold air and starting my day and having to deal with everything about what's facing me that day? Why is it so hard to change from sitting on the couch, letting Netflix just kind of keep doing its thing, to actually getting up, taking my dishes to the sink, and getting ready for bed? Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard when someone is in the doctor's office and the doctor says to them, we need to get you on a heart-healthy diet, when everything that person has been eating has been experiencing up to that point, what they're used to is not so heart-healthy. Why is that so hard? It's because by nature, we human beings like to be comfortable. And we like to stay comfortable as long as humanly possible. That's why the snooze button is a thing, because you have that crisis in your mind, right? Can I afford to spend a couple nine minutes longer in bed so that I can stay where I am? Problem is, if you're that person in that doctor's office hearing that you need to change the diet, you don't have much of a choice. You're going to have to make some uncomfortable changes to your life. The hardest part, right, of someone who's changing their diet or going from maybe a sedentary lifestyle to exercising a ton is just getting started, right? Is that initial change, is finally getting off the couch and, and working out, or finally uh, getting fish and broccoli instead of Whataburger every single day. Change is just hard because we like to stay comfortable as long as possible. And it's true in spiritual matters as well. Jesus is telling us a parable this morning, a scary parable, a parable full of warnings to keep us from getting too comfortable. Jesus is teaching us through this parable that it is much, much better to be comforted than comfortable. And I'm calling it a parable. You might know that, that Jesus uses a lot of parables in his teaching. He tells a story, a hypothetical story, to deliver a point. The story has a point. A lot of people look at our gospel for today and they say it's not a parable. Jesus is telling a true story for a couple of reasons. But I'm going to proceed with the assumption that it is indeed a parable. Jesus is telling us this hypothetical story to deliver a point. But regardless of if you think it's true or not, we can't get caught in the details, can we? We can't get so focused on the details that we miss the point of Jesus telling this story. Because he's telling it for a very specific, very powerful point. And if we were to miss this particular point, it could have eternal consequences. So Jesus tells the story of a guy who was actually very, very comfortable. A guy who was literally, physically comfortable. He wore comfortable clothing. He wore linen, purple-colored purple Clothes. And why do you think the, the detail of his clothes being purple is important? I'm not taking questions right now, so. <laughs> but tell me if you were right when I explained. 
It's because in Jesus' day, it was, clothes weren't sold and bought the same way that they are now. Where you can walk into a store, and if you got the money, you can pretty much get whatever you want in whatever color you want, whatever style you want. In Jesus' day, not quite. Everyone owned probably just a couple sets of clothing, and the material was not always super comfortable. Sometimes it was itchy, it was scratchy, depending on what you could afford. And you couldn't just get clothes in whatever color you want, without whatever label you wanted on it, because different dyes, different colors, costed different amounts of money. And purple was the tip of the top. Purple was the most expensive color. So this guy is waltzing around in his purple linen robes. What does everyone conclude about him? This dude has money. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. And we'll see how sad and true that really is in a second. Not only does he look nice and he feels physically comfortable, but every day he's having a wonderful, wonderful meal, inviting his friends over. They're probably eating a little bit too much. They're probably drinking a little bit too much. And this is every day. What's normal for a modern American family? You guys probably have a big fancy meal at home maybe like twice a week, once a week, maybe more than that if you're extravagant. But the rest of the week is leftovers, something easy, something quick. This guy is having the equivalent of a wedding reception in his house every single day. He's living the high life. He's super comfortable. And you heard the parable. You know where he ends up. You know that he ends up in hell. And so far, we haven't really come across the reason why. Maybe. I mean, gluttony is a sin. Eating way too much, constantly pushing your body to its limits and being wasteful, that's not great. Drinking too much, that would, be, that would be bad too, but there's something much more obvious, much more obvious reason to why this man ends up in hell. It's because every day, he has an opportunity. He has that softball slow pitch from God to help someone out, and he doesn't even swing. Every single day, every day as he exits his palace, as he goes out for a day on the town to show off his purple robes to let everyone see how rich he is or to go have lunch with his rich friends, who's right there? Poor Lazarus. That's one detail that people point to to say that this is a true story. Jesus doesn't normally name people in his parables, but I think Jesus gives Lazarus a name so that we see him as a human being. This is a human being at this rich man's gate. And did you catch how he got there? He has to be placed there. He can't get up and walk himself. He is immobile, so he's relying on the generosity of his friends to just pick him up and place him at this rich man's gate. He can't walk himself, so he can't work. He can't work, so he can't eat. He can't eat, so he can't take care of himself. He can't afford medical care. So he has a skin disease. Probably just from the insanitary lifestyle that he was forced to live because of his poverty. There he was in desperate need. And in that society, when you were in that state of being, you had to rely on the generosity of others. And so Lazarus' friends say, well, if anyone has food to spare, if anyone can do something for poor Lazarus, it's this rich guy who's throwing a party every day and walking around in purple robes. But he gets absolutely nothing. Every day, he just turns a blind eye to Lazarus' needs, even though it's so obvious that he could just 
Give them a little something, and that would mean a world of difference. Why doesn't he help him? It is really easy for us to get just disgusted with this rich man's actions until we really explore what he might, what his internal dialogue might be. What excuses might he be giving for withholding his goodness from Lazarus? I have to imagine he's saying something to himself like, well, I don't have all day. I can't just stop what I'm doing every single time someone's in need. Or, shouldn't that man just like find a way to, to earn money for himself? Can't he work? I mean, I worked hard to get where I am. Shouldn't Lazarus as well? Or, you mean you want me to give up some of what I have so that he can be happy? I deserve to be happy too. Why can't I just enjoy my things? Isn't that what life is about anyway? And the reason that it's so easy to imagine these responses from the rich man is because isn't that exactly the kind of stuff we say to get out of helping someone who needs it? Because we don't want to be inconvenienced. Because we, by our human nature, we want to be comfortable, we want to stay comfortable. And stopping to help someone out, loving someone, serving someone, that's inconvenient. That's uncomfortable. But then you see where this man ends up. Death takes both him and Lazarus, and in divine irony, their roles are completely reversed. The man who was comfortable, who was partying, who was living it up on earth, now sadly he is in agony. He is in torture, in torment. We know this to be hell. Jesus calls it by its Greek name, by the Greek concept, Hades, but we know from other scriptures what he's referring to. And he's agreeing with other scriptures, depiction of hell that is a place of fire, of pain, and this man just can't stand it. And he begs, he begs, please, just a couple drops of water would be enough to give me some relief from the pain that I'm experiencing. But he can't. It doesn't work that way. Isn't it ironic that the man who refused to show mercy and generosity and kindness in his life now is asking for the same when it is far too late? But then he knows, he thinks, he realizes that he has, a, he has a family still on earth who are still making the same mistakes he is, that are still living the life that he's living and, and falling, to the, falling prey to the same temptations that he is. And so he thinks of them. Send someone back from the dead that they will warn them, that, that they can shake them, that wake them up from their comforts and get them to realize that this is where they're heading, that if they don't change their behavior and change their thoughts and their perspectives, that they'll be in agony as well. But it doesn't work that way. Why not? This is the same reason he wound up in hell, too. You want to know what the scariest part of this parable is, is when the man looks up into heaven and he recognizes someone. He looks up and he sees Father Abraham, this man from the Old Testament, this very, very important figure in the Old Testament. How do you know who Father Abraham is? It's if you read the Old Testament. That means that this man died knowing his Bible. This man died thinking he was a believer. 
this man died thinking that he was fine with God and that he probably thought he was going to heaven, only to experience the rudest awakening that we can possibly imagine. We can't imagine how this feels. We just can't. The reason that's so scary is that I, who call myself a believer, could be making the same mistake. Could be blind to the opportunities right in front of me to serve my neighbor. Could be making the mistake of not listening to Moses and the prophets. Jesus is referring to the Bible, the Old Testament. Because if this man was going to synagogue every single Saturday and hearing the word, yet just refusing to listen to what it said, then not even if someone came back from the dead would that be enough to wake him up. This is the warning, brothers and sisters. But if that scares us, if we worry, if we feel guilty for all the times that we have heard a command from God and just ignored it, just made an excuse not to follow it, there's one thing I want you to remember. As much as you might feel like you identify with this rich man, as much as the warning might apply to us, we have to remember that in Jesus' parable, he died. You're not dead yet. Abraham's point to this man was, your time is up. You had a chance. And unfortunately, mister, you chose earthly comfort over the comfort of being with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, your time, it's not up yet. Because there's someone else in this parable with whom you identify even more. Poor Lazarus. Lazarus was 100% dependent. He was 100% uncomfortable. There was nothing about his life that was comfortable. To be at that state of starvation where he hoped, he, he depended on even just scraps from someone else's table, wishing that he could just have the crust of the peanut butter jelly sandwich that the rich man's son was eating, that he could just have the bone with a little bit of meat left on it left from his feast. He was dependent on other people's generosity, and people failed him. But he was also dependent on the generosity of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did not fail him and will not fail you. People fail you all the time, but Jesus never will. Jesus gives us the ultimate, the consummate example of someone who is willing to inconvenience themselves for the sake of someone else, to experience discomfort for the sake of someone else. Because what could possibly be more comfortable than the throne in heaven? that Jesus gave up to be born a human baby in the most uncomfortable of settings, to live in a point in human history that was extremely uncomfortable, to be a Jew during the Roman occupation of Israel, and to die the worst, most uncomfortable death imaginable. But Jesus said, yes, please. He chose that, and he rose from the dead. Not even his resurrection was for his own sake. It was all for you. It was all to put you first. It was all to win your forgiveness and to give it to you freely as a gift. We sinners would be lucky to get scraps from Jesus' heavenly table, but he decides 
to invite us into the heavenly banquet. We would be lucky if Jesus gave us a glance our way or, or smiled at us, but here he is embracing us with God's grace and love and taking us in to God's family through faith. You can rely on the generosity of Jesus Christ because he never fails, and he never will. And I love the way that Father Abraham expresses what Lazarus is experiencing in heaven. He says, now he is comforted. Every discomfort of living a human life, every sorrow, ache, pain, and suffering that Lazarus experienced met its answer with the joy of heaven. Everything Lazarus suffered was put to an end when Jesus called him home, and he was experiencing nothing but 100% unbridled joy. That's what waits for you, brothers and sisters. You may have seen, you may have heard that our sister in Christ, Joanne Scheel, was called home last week. The comfort, the peace, the joy that Lazarus is experiencing in this parable, Joanne is experiencing right now. Don't worry about her. She is being comforted by her own Savior, Jesus Christ, who met her when it was her time, dried her tears, and made everything okay, just like he will for you. And so you know what Joanne knew, what Lazarus knew, what Jesus knew, Everything wrong with this life, every inconvenience, every discomfort, every pain will be worth bearing when we see that it is answered with the joy of heaven. So Jesus' warning, Jesus' encouragement is to look for the Lazarus at your doorstep. Look for the people that God so clearly wants us to help. Look for the opportunities that God gives you. He will give you every day to serve someone else. And yes, yeah, serving someone else is uncomfortable and inconvenient. It would be inconvenient if that rich man gave up his riches, gave up his food. He would take a hit. He would take a loss. The point is that it would be worth it. Just like you know it's worth it. Stick your neck out. Someone who you don't normally bury your soul to, you don't normally give advice to, but to tell them, to break that barrier and tell them about Jesus, who is their Savior, and the full and free grace that is right there for them, it's worth that uncomfortability. It's worth that inconvenience. Because every uncomfortability, every discomfort, every inconvenience will be met with the joy and the comfort of being with Jesus. Jesus shares an unfortunate story of a man who died without hope, without faith, and without love. But remember that key difference between him and you. Your time is not up yet. And you know who you are and why you're here. You know you're not here to get as comfortable as possible. Because you know your comfort is coming. You know you're here to look for the Lazaruses in your life who need your help and to help them. You know that you are here to rely on the witness of Moses and the prophets, the witness of Scripture, to guide our lives, to show us what it is we are to do to 
make a difference for other people. And to show them that it's better to be comforted than comfortable. Amen. Would you please stand?